Well, it's been another 11 years. Since we... Um, since what? Since, well, the, the last Scream movie we did was 2011, and this one oh, is 2022. Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah, and the one before yeah. that was 2000. So it, it's, been, it's been two sets of 11-year gaps between hmm. scream films right yeah yeah it's enough I'm, to make it's enough just, to make you scream just kind of buried the lead there hello and welcome <laughs> welcome to the movie men podcast i am co-host peter that is co-host brady and we are the movie men podcast reviewing the scream movies leading up to the i think much anticipated but uh the anticipated scream six review and release I mean, it's, yeah, without without sort of jumping the shark here, it is like the new one, the Scream 6, it's like, because it's out now. It's been out for about a week in theaters. And that's why I kind of awkwardly was phrasing it, because it mostly, usually when we talk about things we're anticipating, it's like, yeah, we can't wait till this comes right out next corner, year. Yeah. Like, this has been out in theaters for like 10 days or however long. Yeah. It's just, like I haven't seen it yet. I literally, in the last couple hours, just got back from seeing it. So, <laughs> just full right. disclosure. Um, yeah. But it is, like, from a box office standpoint, it is mm-hmm. smashing yep. Oh, the records of the franchise, and so it's in in like smashed the opening weekend record. Oh wow! By like fifty per, by like a fifty percent increase over the huh. last one, and so it it's just interesting that like it's not like an opening opening weekend numbers are not based on word of mouth of how good a film are is no right like no. moving forward the box yep. office is based on people saying like oh it's so good and and people going and and having multiple viewings and and so on and so forth but it's like it's not that the that scream six is so good that lots of people are going and seeing it lots of people went to see <laughs> if it was so good so it's just right. it's really fascinating if that's a combination of like anticipation after scream five if it's a super successful marketing campaign like you know what is what what has caused this opening weekend box office record smashing results for for scream but um yeah it's uh, highly anticipated i would say is an is an accurate descriptor Mm. based on that anyways good and you know it's hard for me to read into, you hit the nail on the head, you know, I'm excited to hear that it's doing well financially, but yeah, obviously I, as someone anticipating this movie, can't read into that too much just because that speaks more towards the fan interest of the previous films and interest level of going forward versus, you know, Scream 6 delivers or it's, you right. know, yeah, doing... Because you were only on set for like the two days and so you don't have like... <laughs> Right. sort of the bigger picture like you don't really know how it turned out and and yeah. so you're, you're almost just as in the dark as anybody else is 
Right. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, let's not waste any time. Let's just um, let's, let's do just it. Hop in. I assume, as is typical of Scream films, you don't have any trivia. That is correct, Amundo. I feel bad. I should have like planned ahead. I I knew that that was. I should have like you know. I'll do respect. I should have picked up the slack here because I knew. <laughs> yeah. I knew you weren't going to, but yeah. uh, I Maybe miss for it. Number I six. miss trivia. I like honestly. I don't know when the last time mm-hmm. I answered Pete trivia was. <sighs> yeah, we had not a question in Titanic. I had like a lot of tidbits or like little odds and ends, but not yeah. in the form of a. It's been question. over a month for sure. It's been a while since like a formal Brady. All the marbles are on the line. What is the answer to that's, how many that, facelifts Courtney Cox has had? Yeah, that's gross, man. Like, it's <laughs> what, just a, a gross lifts. No, it's just a gross amount of time to have. Oh yeah, that too. It's icky. So let's, you know, <laughs> pick it up. Hopefully, in the yeah near present. Uh, okay, so listen. Let's let's uh, let's just hop in. Initial impressions. I I've been kind of teasing this one to you over the last little while, the last couple of episodes, kind of being like, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to reveal too much <laughs> about five, but yeah, um, yeah, this is a noticeable leap in production value and quality over the previous ones. Like it felt, you know, the nineties ones feel very nineties. Um, in a fun nostalgic 90 ways, but also in just kind of like a tacky low budget. It doesn't, it doesn't have like a big cinematic quality to it. Um, the 2001, I would say follow suit because it's, you know, it's on like the tail end of, of the nineties. It it's barely just didn't make the cut nineties wise. Um, the 2011 one doesn't feel 90s, but still doesn't really have that like major blockbuster or cinematic color scale kind of feel to it. Um, Scream 5, or as it was titled just simply Scream from 2022, uh, breaks that mold entirely. This has got a a real cinematic kind of feel to it. It feels like a bigger box office kind of production. Um, And I think it's really good. I have a couple of gripes. Um, I have a couple of praises. And then I have one or two things that are major things that I don't know whether they're gripes or praises, and I'm kind of hoping to, like, as we mm. move forward here, talk yep. them out with you and, like... Un- unpack it a little bit. Yeah, and see if I can land at a place where... you know, They're like, I think they might be gripes, but I'm not committed to saying that they're gripes, and I'm hoping to talk them out and reach a point where I can see that they are, in fact, not gripes. Mm. Um but I very, very much enjoy this film. I think it's entertaining. I think the mystery is alive. I think there's there's several leaps and bounds forward that the Scream franchise takes with this film. Um, I won't go so far as to say that it beats Scream 1 
as being the best scream in the franchise. Um, but as I've kind of said in our reviews of these films in the past, if not, then it's a close number two for me. Anyways, hmm. that's solid. What are your initial impressions? Um, I think I would echo a lot of the things you say. I, I watch this and like any other scream movie, even the ones that I don't like as much as others, this movie, like the others has me tuned in for the murder. It's essentially a murder mystery. Like I'm very in tune to what people are saying and doing to see what's happening next. Yeah. It's a, it's trying a to- slasher whodunit. Yeah, and just really getting into the, okay, let's try and guess things out and always be surprised. And, you know, I really thought this one was cleverly done, and in its typical fashion, it just marches all over those tropes and makes, you know, makes light of them, but uses them, and is so self-referential, and does a really good job at being what they referred to as, I think it was like a reboot sequel, like a requel or what have you. And and I, I thought they did exactly that. They really did a good job. It had a lot of things that I loved. It <laughs> in the opening scene, we get the IMDb, IMDb uh, uh, stab reference, and you see David Schwimmer's uh, face and Luke Wilson's face as, as credit. So that ticked a box for me. Um, it had some questionable things, um, and I, again, I'm not saying it's necessarily a deal breaker for me, but it's just I'd say in the one of the most graphic of the of the five, very graphic. Yeah, um, which is one of those thick. leaps and bounds forward that I would yes. say that it would, it would yep. like a, an evolution of the series is that they sort mm. of yeah brought a horror element in a way that had not been brought before, which is incredible because even if you think to the opening sequence of film number one, it's a horror like it's a brutal graphic events so oh, to speak. Oh, they've always been upsetting upsetting situations. Yes. But they don't show as much gore as they do now. Like in this opening sequence like a girl gets a you see the knife go through her hand. Yeah. Not a lot of but, entrails in the past. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it's a bit more graphic which I'm neither here nor there for. Um and some some times where I'm trying to put my finger on the pulse of what's happening like are these kids are these kids supposed to be in high school but yet they're like playing pool at a bar? I I yeah. again not not I, a huge deal breaker for me but it just I'm like what? I What's think happening? that might just be like a geographical cultural thing. You know, Maybe. that that wasn't something we grew up in a, a small town. Mm-hmm. So, so it wasn't really something that that you know we would go do. But I I feel but like I'm, in high school students, you see that referenced enough times that there's like the local hangout spot or there's the, true, you know, whatever it is. I guess I'm just saying where the legal drinking age in the States is 21. Oh, high school fake kids. And <laughs> for, true enough. Not a deal breaker for me. But yeah, you know what? This movie has some really great moments. I love uh, when they forget the puffer and it's the one, two, three, no effing way. Like I, I literally yeah. chuckled out loud. Uh, and literally when <laughs> I literally in my notes, I wrote LMAO when one of the ca- main characters 
denies advancing romantically in a situation because he just says, I can't confirm if you're the killer or no, not. I don't so know. This, you know, I don't, I get a, the safe option is to stay down here with to stay down here with everybody else. So like really fun, really self-referential, even Dewey getting in onto it where this time he's the one delivering the tropes, delivering the plot layout for where we're going to go in this movie. Yeah. And he, you know, just him saying something feels different about this one. All my point, all my point is, yeah, there's some hiccups. There's some things that I might not like as much, but there's some really good things in here. And I would echo what you said. Um, this, I think, might be my second favorite of all the films. Mm-hmm. Really, really liked it. Not only for, I didn't really think about this till you said it, but the production value is there. The intrigue level was there. And yeah, just I, I really, really thought it had some really well done components to it. And uh, unlike some other things in the past, other films in the past that really kind of like number three for me really just stuck out like a sore thumb or whatever one they had. No, I think number two, the one that where they were in college just stuck out like a sore That's thumb. That's the second to me. one. So, yeah. yeah, number two. So my point is number five is really good and the payoff at the end is really good, really surprised me and uh, again was entertaining. So I think the payoff and the overall film puts this in a really high slot for me. Really nice. good film. Nice. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's talk briefly as we've done in the past about the casting in this <laughs> I'm glad you are um, obviously we have our legacy characters back we have Nev Campbell we've got them back for a while anyway yeah we've got Courtney Cox yep and we have David Arquette for what would appear to be his last outing in the Scream franchise Dewey sees a Dewey sees a, a, a untimely ending this time around. I, yeah, this seems like a good spot to talk about it. I sure. that this is something that bothered me a little bit. Okay, is where like I wasn't even that sad when Dewey died because I was more sad when the sheriff who was the deputy, who is the, your lemon squares taste like ass lady. Yeah. I was more heartbroken when that happened just because that was like a pretty, I took that pretty hard. Like it was like an emotionally intense scene. Um, anyone well, can relate it, it, to this. Was, it was your fault. So you should take it hard. <laughs> I took it hard. That one's on you. <laughs> well, you've got a mother racing home to save her child. Like that is something that yeah. a lot of people, whether you're a parent or not, can just empathize with she's become and, a little bit of an you know, umbrella it's parent very w- since you know <laughs> since 2011 the last 11 years have been uh yeah been a little paranoid but and and you have a really well cut scene where you know he's going around the house you're anticipating things to happen and they don't and when they you don't think they're going to happen they do and i all this being said then it just leads to the payoff where this mother dies and I, I, that I found more emotionally charged for me. Right. The Dewey. And the reason I'm bringing this all up now, the Dewey segment was more of a WTF moment where you had the scream mask person dead in the water. Like they were like not moving because they had like fallen on a shelf or something like they were on the ground. Like anyone anyone pushes the advantage there like put a couple bullets to the head instead 
Dewey's like, all right, well, let's go, everybody. Let's go. All right. Oh, we've given them ample time to recover. Okay. I'm now I'm going to go back by myself and get like shanked. Like I, I was just like, Dewey, what are you doing, man? Mm. Like I, as sad as I should have been, like as as much as I love Dewey for all these films, I was just more upset with them. I'm like, what are you doing? So mm-hmm. I'm a uh, little upset, a little sad, but I, more upset. I was more sad about the sheriff dying. So yeah. Uh, anyway, David um, Arquette is in this film. Yeah. That's my point. We get Jenna Ortega, who was not as big at the time of of doing this film as she is now having <laughs> she done is now. Yeah. Wednesday. Yep. Um but uh I think she's fantastic in this. Like I really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. this being like her first at least in in my perspective, her first like major role in a film. Yeah. Um yep. she's got she's got acting jobs. Like you know, I I I buy her convictions. I buy her frustrations. I buy all of it, you know, her emotional scenes, everything else to me, that's fantastic. Um, we have, what is her name? Who plays Sam? Sam Carpenter is played by Melissa Barrera, Barrera, who, um, who I coincidentally just discovered this past summer when I watched this movie. Oh, it was actually a TV show. And, uh, she, place this individual who's like stuck in the wilderness and like fights grizzly bears it was called keep breathing it was a netflix show and the show was a little average it could have been a bit better if they had done some more things with it but regardless it was a familiar face for me and i thought she was pretty good in this she's good yeah again you buy it oh yeah um we have uh jack quaid who not only do you know do you what do you know about Jack Quaid? Well, I'm gonna ask, is he related to Dennis Quaid? Not only is he the son of Dennis Quaid, <laughs> okay, he's also the son of Meg Ryan. What? This is Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid's kid. <laughs> oh my! I gosh. mean, could you be more? That's like um, oh, man. that's like what's his face? That's like Goldie Hawn and 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 right. Russell's kid. Yeah. Right, like it's just it's got this, like yeah, you you are the child of Hollywood royalty, sir. <laughs> Which I I'm doing Don't a screw quick Google <laughs> Google search of Dennis Quaid. I feel like Sandra Bullock and Dennis Quaid are two actors that we've never really touched on this podcast. Like both pro or con or just even films of theirs coming up. And Why I Sandra find Bullock? That, Where'd that come from? What do you mean? You said Sandra Bullock. Yeah, yeah, Sandra Bullock and Dennis Quaid. I just feel like those two, oh, okay. for some reason, I just like we, we weren't talking about Sandra Bullock, so I just don't know where that came from. Oh, it's it's out of left field. I think okay. I'm thinking just more like their household names. They're right. in a lot of things. So just the fact that we haven't like in 280 almost 275 episodes. To not touch on either of them even once, even in passing until like literally this minute, Dennis yeah. Quaid. Dennis Qu- everyone's I'm, dad, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> everyone's dad. Including America, Jack. <laughs> America's dad. Um, we haven't really touched on Meg Ryan either though. Like that's... That's Like have we true. done a Meg Ryan film? No. 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 Weird. Huh. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, we've got that. We have playing Amber Freeman. We have Mickey Madison, um, who you would know from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I would know from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and for anyone who doesn't want Once Upon a Time in Hollywood spoiled, skip the next 10 seconds or so. Uh, la, 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 la. <laughs> Mikey Madison literally getting like the same demise that she gets in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Because I feel like she gets torched at the end of that movie. She for sure gets killed because she's one of the murdering she's cultists. The new, she's the new Sean Bean. If she's alive <laughs> but, by the end of a film, something. But like, when she got torched at the end of the scream, I'm like, are you going to get typecast into the person who's killed and like everything you're in? Exactly. Yeah. Um, we have the return of Heather Mata, Matar, Matazero. I've never known how to pronounce her last name. Um, playing Martha Meeks. The Was she in anything else in this series? She's in Scream 3. Yeah, because she's the she's the sister uh, of Randy, who was okay. the oh. horror film aficionado, like movie store working aficionado from Scream One and Two, right? So that's okay, that's okay, the okay. thing when they talk about how Mindy and um, uh, oh, what's his name, Mindy and and Chad are the niece niece and nephew of Randy, right? Right. That's their, okay. So legacy so, to this just so i'm understanding correctly she's the sister of randy of randy and randy was the dude who a worked at the video rental store and then b and like scream three had a vhs of himself saying hey guys here's the tropes is that right from beyond the grave he, he yes. was there yeah okay yeah 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 that's randy i don't like red-headed. i think I, like I, <laughs> he's the guy that's like sitting what in the first one at the party that's happening at Stu mocker's house Mm-hmm. He's the one that's like sitting on the couch, yes, watching yeah. the movie baked yeah. out of his mind, and he's like, <laughs> you know, he's like, look behind you, look behind as Ghostface yeah. is approaching from behind, right? Yeah, no, I I I remember that occurring. I just don't think I remembered Heather's uh, face, but that that all makes sense. Yeah, that all makes sense. Um, and then really the only other person actually. I don't. I want to pause you on that just because yeah. I. I'll forget if I don't bring it up now. Obviously, as you were alluding to, with uh, they mirrored a lot of things in this movie. Oh yeah. One of them was that scene you just referenced where Randy had screamed behind yeah. him. The Mindy, the niece Mindy, is on the couch yeah, watching this Randy's time, roll yeah. from stab, and yeah, it's this like super self-referential. And and well done, like so Mindy, the, the one with Mindy. It's just so well done, and I liked how there was also that touch of. And again, it's a reboot sequel, so like that's exactly what they're going for. That opening sequence at the beginning occurs too, where all our new main characters are kind of in the schoolyard, kind of razzing each other, and it's very similar to the original film where you've got them in a similar setting, sitting in a courtyard, all chatting with each other. You've got the, you know, the obvious ones who are romantically interested, you know, the, the others who are platonic and all these different things. And I, I thought it was just fun and I, I, I understand what they're doing, but I still got a kick out of it. It's amazing that it, it, again, like only the Scream franchise could do, it's a sequel that is also kind of a carbon copy remake in many ways not in all ways but in a lot of ways um that has built-in dialogue acknowledging and explaining and pointing out the fact 
that it's the same but different. Like it's it's yeah. it's so good, and it's it never feels tacky or corny, in in a way that only the Scream franchise could do. That you have this character that's literally fourth wall breaking and explaining what's happening and and acknowledging who's a legacy character and who isn't and who's the fresh blood and and what the tropes are and and it's just like you're just buying it you're like you're glued to it because of the character that they create in Mindy you're like yes okay this is she's just like her uncle was right <laughs> yeah. she's this yeah. like crazed horror fan that understands the rules yeah um the other big return is and not in person, but only through psychotic delusion, we have oh. Skeet Ulrich playing Billy Loomis. And yeah. I want to point out two things. I think, A, it's interesting. Um, I, I didn't, I, I'm not sure I picked up on it the first time I watched this in a way that sure. had, like stood out to me. Um, yep. But I did this time around where I was like, an interesting choice for them, especially nowadays when we have all this technology, an interesting choice for them not to try to de-age Skeet Ulrich hmm. to the age that he would have been in, in Scream 1 when he died, right? Like he's he is current day looking, he's like a 50-year-old, 45-year-old Skeet Ulrich. Um, I, I feel silly asking this. Was he... Was he? I thought he did look younger. No, he's just got it. He's got it. He moisturizes. Um, but he, <laughs> yeah, he, he, no, they did. They not. Okay. It, if I mean, if they did try to clean him up a little bit, it, not to like he didn't look seventeen. Like he's you know True. he's got a, a a look to him that you know this guy's been around the block a little bit. <laughs> um, so I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting that as he's aged, like his voice has changed from when he was, he played Billy Loomis the first time around. And it's almost like modern day Skeet Ulrich has a voice that is very similar, sort of just in tone and like, I don't know, just like the mannerisms of his voice, very similar to the, the voice changing Ghostface voice. So right. I thought that was kind of right. like a cool, like little, yeah. like to Roger Jackson's Ghostface Joyce voice. So I'm like, oh, that's a fun little whatever. Um, but also in an episode of our movie news show, when Pete and I did our our fan choice DC casting, um, my pick for for the new Joker moving forward was Skeet Ulrich. And I think, oh, I think in these like over the shoulder delusion scenes, I was just like, yes, <laughs> this is, and this is why, like, you're just like put slap some, some Joker makeup on this guy and let him go crazy. And, and I'm so there for it. And I think anyone, anyone who has doubts in that should just watch Skeet Ulrich's scenes from this film and then go, oh, okay. Yep. No, you're right. Absolutely. And I think I've listened to your episode plugging the movie news. Everyone should check it out. I think that name I must have just overlooked when I heard it and just didn't register who it was. And I'm I see what you're saying. That that makes a lot of sense. And I I'm I'm I understand why you chose that. Especially in the white blood soaked t shirt. Like he just he's got this <laughs> right. look, right? Like right. Yeah, man, so good. 
Um, are there any other standout cast members to you? I don't, I just don't want to move forward and be like, oh, and that's all the interesting. And that's people. it. Um, one, let me just write, I wrote it down here. I don't think you said this, but, uh, a frosted tipped <laughs> Dylan <laughs> fair, Minette. A, a very, like for 2022, an extremely frosted tipped. But again, I, I, I could be reading into this too much. It could be confirmation bias, but I feel like that was almost like playing into a 90s trope as well. Like I, I maybe think it I'm... probably was, and it also strangely worked. Like, I, I, I didn't look yeah. at him and go like, oh, you look ridiculous. <laughs> well, like, you, I did, but... Uh, I, I don't know. I kind of... If anyone could pull it off. Um, yeah, that's fair. But yeah, um, Dylan Minnette, obviously from things like 13 Reasons Why on Netflix... Um, he was in, um, the Jack Black Goosebumps movie. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Neat. Yep. 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 Um, he was in Prisoners. I mean, now we're getting he back was? to- Oh, was he the brother? Yeah. So now you're, now you're getting back to a point where he was like so young that, you know, he yeah, was in five just... episodes of Lost, but that was like- What? 13 years ago. Whoa. So, whoa who was he in Lost, man? Uh, uh david shepherd david shepherd oh yeah yeah you know oh man this is you go back even further he's in an episode of gray's anatomy he was in five episodes of prison break you know like it Hmm. it you go back far enough and it's like (laughs) he's he's, okay i guess that was him but he was a kid right yeah yeah recognize him um yeah, so lots of crazy things happen in this one. Um, I'm a fan of, like, I, so one of the things that I said about this movie was that you you buy the connectivity. You buy that it makes sense in a way that this is continuing. And I think that making Sam Carpenter the daughter of Billy Loomis is is exceptional like i i I was just like okay perfect like this actually feels like it fits more than some of the previous ones have you've roped me back in in terms of believability you hit the nail on the head i mean i've said and I i won't belabor on this anymore but yeah the the mother returning in number two Makes sense. Logically, mothers are upset if their kids are harmed, but it just didn't work for me. Number three, I really enjoyed the film, but the ending was a bit of a stretch. Yeah, you're exactly right. This number five, not only like just really makes sense and works, but like it's it just seamlessly accomplishes their goal of just really connecting the two. Yeah. Um but I do want to this this be a good good moment to come up with with what my gripe it my, what my questionable gripe is. Sure, yeah, yeah. So I love that. I love that that Sam's the daughter of Billy. Um, I I do really enjoy the delusional mind things that she's having with Billy. Although a little strange because presumably she never met him, so. That mm, you kind of have to suspend disbelief there. Yeah, There's that's w- true. One or two moments where it gets a little bizarre. Like it's like, you know, she's on the, the floor of the house and 
her psychotic delusion is able to tip her off to where a knife is hiding behind the curtain. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, uh, but then you're like, you know, I think so many things can be explained away by the fact that like, it's, it is supposed to at its core also be a parody of slasher films. So yeah, if yeah, there's some course. like ridiculous leaps and tropes and whatever, it's almost forgivable forgivable because maybe it's intentional and so you, you yeah. can kind of look past those things i love if, that we if not there, there's not many places that you could let that slip and this right. is the one yeah this is the one um i love the parallel of the fact that we're back in the stumacher house um that it's it's you know we're gonna have a showdown in the kitchen and, and it was have it, all these the things. reveal the reveal of it too that it just kind of caught us by surprise like mid party yeah yeah, that this, wait, this is, wait a second. They go downstairs yeah. to get beer and you're like, I've seen this basement. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's, it's so that's, that's all fantastic. I, I don't know. The thing that I don't know about is the motives of the killers. It felt, it feels a little weak to me. And I think I'm struggling to, like, confidently jump on board that these are just two diehard fans of this this stab franchise that feel like they've been done dirty and there hasn't been a good entry in a little bit and they just need to become psychopathic killers in order to provide new source material that, that that they can throw their lives away in order to create inspiration and and you know whatever so that they can revitalize a franchise that they have no financial stake in right this isn't like a money thing they're just simply fans that are you know that that believe that the best stab movies were the movies that were based on true events. And so they're going to create some more true events so that the next, so that stab nine or whatever it is can be excellent. Hmm. And so obviously it requires these two fans being people who have some, some issues (laughs) outside of just the obsessed fandom. Right. Like (laughs) you've already like the fact that you're also into stab has to just kind of be like an add on. It has to be a coincidence. Like these have (laughs) to be two people who have found each other and are both pretty sick puppies to begin Mm -hmm. with. Um, But talk that through with me, because that's that's the thing that I'm like, I'm hoping I can come around and be like, you know what? No, it does work and it does make sense um, because it's the one big, at this point, it's the one big like glaring red mark on the ledger of what I think is otherwise a pretty great movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know what there is to say because I think, talking this out, I think, I think essentially what it boils down to to me is you're never going to have something that really makes sense or that really doesn't feel quirky and weird. 
and I think this is the closest that you can get. Right. Because I'm walking through outside just, of outside of the first one, right? The first outside one, of the first, the first, the first one, you first never one. like you kind of question Stu Mocker's motives, but he's just a little yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Billy's like Billy's, Billy's motives are the the most solid from the franchise. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think aside from number one, uh, number five here is the closest that you get to you know accepting and being like, okay, this this makes sense. And it's still a bit of a stretch, you know. And number two, again, the mother didn't buy it as much. Three step sibling you know has a bit more grounded in reality but it is pretty a big pretty big stretch pretty weak in in some ways number four i got a little bit more you know you've got the belittled family member who has kind of always lived in the shadow wants to claim their own glory but it is a still a bit of a stretch and like okay yeah, I get living in shadows, but are you really, you know, like just, it seems like a huge jump to being like, I'm going to replicate murdering and killing people and and all that and all that such. So I guess it's the same with number five. You can get it a little bit, but then it gets to a point where you, yeah, right. It's, it's, it's hard to swallow completely. And I think probably for one of the reasons I like this movie second, most of the franchise, it, it is one of the easier ones to swallow where, you know, you can buy it to, to a little little to a little bit anyway and yeah i i i think you're always doomed to fail after number one i guess would be my point number Mm. one you've used your bullet of something reasonable and rational and there's not much else you can do or you can go and i think they've done the best what they they can and they've rounded really back into form with number four but particularly number five is a perfect no is it still a problem for me? Maybe a little bit, but it's enough of a, like, I don't have a problem with it enough to say, why are you making this film? Right. Be curious to go where they go with number six. Does number six stay in suit? Oh, I can't like, answer hey, that for you. I know you can, oh and God. nor do I want you, but I am curious to see, does number six stay in the same vibe of, you know, yeah, it's a stretch, but it makes the film worth it? Or is it a stretch and you go, okay, guys, like, Maybe this is enough. Maybe this is where we go. Because I have to admit, now, two and three kind of gave that vibe. I still enjoyed the film, but then the, the payoff at the end really wasn't there. So Right, yeah. Okay. I, I would say, if you're trying to make a pro-con of this, of what the question you asked me, I'd say the pros still outweigh the cons, mm-hmm. but it's not perfect. I I do, and I, I can recognize that Amber's obsession, kind like she, her parents bought, she's living in the Stu Mocker house. Right, so you can kind of that's true. You can kind of take that connection as well and be like, okay, right? I forgot that. Oh man, she's living in that house. Um, Uh, I did like the fact that once the reveal happens and you start like piecing this together backwards, it it was at the end of the day. I mean, you know, Richie, Richie being involved was was a surprise. Right, and that was like oh, a, yeah. a wild card that you know you didn't you didn't have a lot of clues dropped. You had you could have your suspicions, and I mm-hmm. certainly did. Um, but the fact that the initial like when all this starts, the initial phone call from Ghostface, <laughs> and the the text messaging that's happening mm-hmm. 
is coming from Amber's phone. Right. Yeah. And and so it was it was kind of one of those like the simplest explanation was the right one that like mm. you know that it Amber was texting her and calling her from mm-hmm. her phone. Right. Pretending to be ghost face pretending to be someone else who had gotten a hold of Amber's phone. Right. Yeah. And so that was just like, it was like, oh, like that to me works too, because that's, you know, if you're this underfinanced teenage serial killer, you don't have a lot of things at your disposal. And so you you are just going to use, you know, foolishly, it's bolder than what I would have done, but you are going to use your own phone. Yeah. And, and just kind of come up with a story for why that's happening. Um, yeah. and then paint yourself as the, as the potential, as the person who's in harm's way, mm-hmm. right? Because if, if, if the perception is that Amber's the one that Ghostface is, is stalking and eyeing up, mm. well, that p- pretty much immediately removes Amber from the suspect list, right? You're like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. well, it must not be her. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that was cool. My favorite yeah. line in this movie I think the best line from the entire franchise up until this point is when we get Sidney Prescott's return and we realize what kind of a situation we're in. We realize what the stakes are. You know, it's sort of declared, okay, it's go time. We have another ghost face issue on our hands. And, um, And Sidney's asked, do you have a gun? And Sydney says, I'm Sydney effing Prescott. Of course I have a gun. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I would probably at this point in the game, I'd have several. Like that's, mm. yep, okay, 100%. It's like, you know, she's like the, oh, you won't get this because you, you're lame and you haven't seen Terminator. Um, but she's like, <laughs> she's become the Sarah Connor. She's become this person who's gone through you know, I've, of course she's got a gun and her house has got 10 locks on it. And, and, you know, she's the Laurie Stroder from the, from the Halloween series. She's the, the, you know, what have you that like has got this decades long, like war raging with this serial killer now, even though in this one, it's constantly a different serial killer. She's, she's fighting the legacy and the entity, the mantle of, ghost face hmm. yeah it was such a good line such a good line <laughs> the one other thing I'll say and it's it's an eye rolling thing but I think it's pretty consistent through all of the Scream films is just that like you know these people especially in the final fight that happens at the, the house party these people are brutalized. Like there's a lot of stabbing and twisting and, oh, yeah. and all of this stuff that happens. And then mm. once ghost faces is dealt with <laughs> these horrific, like abrasions and contusions and, right. and, and what lacerations are, they, they kind of sort of become cosmetic because, Oh, you yeah. know, Tara Tara gets stabbed pretty wildly and and is in pretty rough shape, I would <laughs> think. And then we cut to sort of like the aftermath scene and someone's getting pulled away <laughs> on a stretcher 
who, you know, got like stabbed in the shoulder is just like getting pulled away on a stretcher and is in rough shape. And Tara or Sam, I can't remember which one goes to talk to them on the stretcher and, and Tara or Sam again, I can't remember which was like stabbed in the gut and had the <laughs> knife twisted and is kind of just wearing like a tensor bandage around their stomach and is walking without any kind of limp or, you know, like they just seem they're tired they're a little, you know, they're they're they could use some sleep. But the fact that they should be going immediately into surgery is not and like and be on the fence if they'll make it or not based yeah. on their wounds. Yeah. yeah. Like somehow they've got like every victim in the in every survivor in the Scream franchise has got Olympian level blood clotting abilities because <laughs> Because they're not, they haven't bled out at this point. Well, I think and it was like, Gail Weathers got a bullet to the gut, and yeah. then after just she just, and I think in a heated moment, yeah, like someone stuck her finger in it or something, yeah, or like yeah. punched her oh, in the yeah. gut. And, and I then would, after I would the, say, based on that gunshot wound, I think that that bullet's still in her. Like I, <laughs> I don't know that there's an exit wound. Well, and, and then just pans to afterwards, they're sitting in an ambulance with no real urgency to be like, all right, got to make it to the hospital. They're like, all right, well, we'll get your statement and we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll deal with this not, now. Not sitting in a wait, like, it's just kind of like hunched over the way you would be if you were tired <laughs> and frustrated. Like, not yeah. not positioned in a way that, like, <laughs> oh, my my body hurts. <laughs> Like they're just kind of like it like, hurts you know. to breathe. It hurts to breathe because there's a bullet touching my diaphragm. Yeah, pushing up against one of my lungs that it grazed. <laughs> like you know, it's just like everyone's pretty much fine now. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's I I don't even know that it counts as a gripe. It's just kind of no, one of those no, like no, ridiculous no. things that you're like, yeah. okay, well, if we didn't do this, then what would the final see? Like everyone would mm. be on life support getting. <laughs> put into the back of an ambulance like yeah. so you're kind of like okay if there's going to be any closure if there's going to be any yeah. any dialogue post the the climax then yeah then when then you kind of need to suspend disbelief as far as like mm. people's injuries go <laughs> but uh uh yeah. what say you is there do you have any other notes that you kind of want to hit on here no, we've touched on everything. I think I'm ready to score it. Cool. So, on a scale of zero to ten, sir, how would you rank Scream? Uh, uh, Scream is what they've called it. It's just Scream, mm-hmm. the fifth movie, but it the, is the yeah, si- called yeah, Scream. the fifth film, Scream 2022. Yeah, I gave it a six out of ten. I enjoyed it. It's better than the midline. I don't think it's uh, the best movie I've ever seen. It's not the best in the series, but I think it's the second best. And if not, no, I'm going to say it's the second best. It's slightly above Scream 3, has some things that are better in some ways than Scream 3. Not quite Scream 1 level, but it's definitely... it. Uh, I am a little worried going into Scream 6 just because of Dewey being gone and knowing that... Uh, uh, our main female protagonist has not returned. So I, I have some concerns going forward. But at the end of Scream number five, there were no concerns on my part. I said, hey, that was another fun whodunit mission accomplished as far as what I wanted out of that film. What did you give it out of 10? On a scale of zero to 10, I gave mm-hmm. it an eight. 
Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I echo a lot of what you said. I think I just, I leaned into this a little bit more. It hits some of those. Sure. You know, I thought it, it balanced its level of gore perfectly. Like it, mm. it, it, it upped it for sure. The, the, it was more gruesome. Um, but it was never gratuitous. It was never like, okay, like you're just showing intestines now for the sake of showing intestines. <laughs> like, you know, it, it it was nowhere near that like saw level of of sure gore. Um, so I liked that. I loved the return of Billy Loomis. I loved all of the connections. Um, you know, it just kind of, it feels like a passing of the torch film a little bit in the sense that like, yep. yes, Sydney and Gail are there for the final sequence um, and play, you know, a, a pivotal role, but they're not the focus of this film. They're not the ones when the, can at, at the end, when the dialogue happens between Sam, Tara, Sydney and Gail, when that conversation ends, the camera follows Sam and Tara. It doesn't stay. It's not like Sam and Tara walk off and then the conclusion is with Sydney and Gale, right? So mm. it, it feels like a passing of the torch. Like the the, the main yep. characters of this series are sh is shifting. Um, so that's, you know, kind of a, a fun thing. Um, mm -hmm. and I just, yeah, I just, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved the symmetry between this and the first one, um, and the acknowledgement of it. I loved the cinematography, just the, like the editing, the color grading. It just felt like they modernized it really well. It felt like it had all the appropriate updates to be a scream film from 2022, um, and not have it feel like a tired sequel, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas the others yep. have kind of, you know, they kind of slowly have crept towards that like tacky fourth <laughs> film in a horror franchise kind mm -hmm. of feel. Whereas yep. th this didn't have the, uh, this is the no. fifth film in a horror franchise feel. That's true. Right? It had this like yep. modern, yep. you know, well-deserved kind of, sequel um yeah and so i i enjoyed that eight out of ten yeah. you don't question why it's there no yeah no you're no. like okay this makes sense yeah, yeah. i yeah. this 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 is it it this it makes sense to me that you're telling this story yes this is a yeah. story that 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 deserved being told so. which seems for so weird for me to say about something in this franchise if i hadn't known you know if you had asked me 6 months ago so I, it's fascinating yeah it's also the first scream film that ends in such a way that feels like it's setting up another one mm. right it feels like we're we've been introduced to new characters for a reason and that right. they survived and that you yeah. know that there's there's something to come is, yep. is yeah so uh would you watch this week sir watch three films a couple are on the frothy lighter side the one is a film i had been looking for for some time so i'll, I'll start with the heavier one i watched 2022's jordan peele's nope nope Ooh. nope yeah uh, I have seen Get Out once, and I, you know, it's a, an acclaimed film. 
I've seen uh, Us a couple times and we've reviewed it. So if you're interested in that, you should check it out. I think we had some mixed reviews. The, I think I liked... film with the most plot holes ever. <laughs> and I thought it was more, if you look at it from a metaphorical, allegorical perspective, it holds up. So I, th- I again, as you could tell, Brady and I had mixed feelings on this. But I've liked Jordan Peele's work before. And so I again because this movie was acclaimed because he has a bit of a reputation now I was intrigued to watch it. I gave it a 6 out of 10. It wasn't bad, but I think it was a bit of a, you know, you shrug your shoulders and go that was fine, but it wasn't anything breathtaking. What I'll say is the visual sequences that primarily take place at night are incredible. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos trying to break down just, you know, it's such a contrast of it's nighttime, but they're well illuminated, but also portraying the vast blackness of night. So it's just a very visually appeasing nighttime scene and that this movie has a lot of. Um, and it's just visually something I've, I've never seen such a great nighttime visual sequences before where, you know, you're either going, that doesn't even look like nighttime or you go, I can't see what's going on. I have no idea what's happening. It's a black screen. So it was just, it was so great as far as those visuals. Um, The protagonist is very silent, doesn't say a lot, and it actually works, and I felt like that had going in its favor. And it had this theme of acknowledging and giving nods to workers in film who are instrumental in films being told and being made, but aren't on the screen or aren't the directors or aren't the people that you think of. And so I, those, all those themes are things that I just described had, you know, me thinking this is a good film or at least something worth talking about. But ultimately, I just finished it. And unlike Get Out, unlike Us, where I felt like, okay, I can hit the elephant in the room of like, what is the underlying message that he's trying to get across or what's the impact that he's trying to talk about? I really didn't find the film as moving from like a bigger picture perspective and maybe I'm just missing the point. Um, But for that reason, I didn't give it a good score and it was just more of a meh. Um, So six out of 10, a six out of 10. Um. The other two films I watched were like a continuation of just like light, frothy things that I didn't need to think about that were also on Emily Mater's Facebook posts that were like, hey, pick these like top favorite rom-coms that you've seen or how do they rank? So I watched 2003's Freaky Friday uh, with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Academy Award winning Jamie Lee Academy Curtis. Academy Award winning Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan. I gave it a six out of ten. Not, you know what? This... Not so Academy Award winning <laughs> Lindsay Lohan, by the I way. I gave it I gave Freaky Friday a six out. Herbie didn't win an Oscar? What? Uh I don't think so. No. <laughs> I gave Freaky Friday a six out of ten. You know, it's f- corny. It's got some 2000s nostalgia. Um, it's 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 got uh, oh who's that? There's like a famous guy in it that Mar- I was. Mark Harmon. No, it was like the romantic interest. Uh, it'll of come who? to me. Of of uh, Lindsay Lohan. Oh okay, because Mark yeah. Harmon's like the stepdad in it. <laughs> he is not the romantic. Chad Michael Murray. That is it. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. 
And he plays like this weird. I don't think he's a student. He's like a, a staff member of the school, but he has interests in Lindsay Lohan. So I didn't quite get the vibe of like I didn't understand who he was and why he was there. And he was also interested in Jamie Lee Curtis too. So he was just kind of interested in anything that moved. But my point is, Freaky Friday, six out of ten. It actually held up more than I thought it would. You know, it had some really emotional underpinnings of, you know, dealing with emotions of characters that I wasn't even remotely expecting. Both mother-daughter, both child and step-parent, both, you know, uh, mother trying to adapt to a new family of not trying to replace a, a past parent, but just, you know, all these kind of emotional things that I wasn't expecting them to tackle. And... It, they did it well. So for a funny rom-com, it actually had a bit of depth for me. And I thought, hey, this was fun. I gave it a 6 out of 10. On something, the other end... something oh, Sorry, something interesting about um, about Freaky Friday that not a lot of people know um, mm. is that there was other people cast in some of these roles. Like Michelle Trachenberg, who... She's in Eurotrip. She played Penny in the Matthew Broderick Inspector Gadget films. Um, hmm. She was originally supposed to play um, the character of Anna, um, but she backed out due to her contractual obligations to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, oh. But more interestingly, um, Annette Benning. Do you know Annette Benning? No. Look up Annette Benning real quick. Okay. Anyways, Annette yeah. Benning was originally supposed to play Tessa, the mom. Huh. And backed out. Huh. And so then Jamie Lee Curtis was cast. And all of this happened within, like, hours, maybe days, but not weeks before <laughs> cameras rolled. So like oh, Jamie man. Lee Curtis literally agreed to do it, started prepping, hopped on a plane and, and you know, like this all went down on mm. Friday and on Monday she was on the other side of the country on set doing this. So it was just like a very, very last minute thing. You could Jamie say Lee that Curtis was one freaky Friday for Jamie Lee Curtis. It was, yes, exactly. That's so lame. But yes, yes, exactly. So <laughs> I, I find that amazing. So one, kudos to her, Jamie Lee Curtis. But I, I, I think that was the better decision. Like, I think it worked out. Uh, yeah, it just, Jamie Lee Curtis brings an energy to everything, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a, a far more solid film than I was expecting for what it is. So that was fun. Oppositely, the last thing I watched, I watched a 2004 film called A Cinderella Story, also with Chad Michael Murray, with Hilary Duff, uh, a few other somewhat notable faces. Uh, Lynn Shea from the Insidious movies was in there, and that threw me off. Like, seeing her in a movie where she wasn't, like, part of exorcisms or whatever she does was just a real spin. But mm -hmm. uh, I gave Cinderella Story a 3 out of 10. It was atrocious. When the credits rolled, I thought, holy Hannah, that was awful. I had to put some Listerine in my mouth just to get the taste out of my mouth. Really? Um, yeah, it just didn't hold up as much as uh, Freaky Friday did or some of these other like, light, funny rom-coms. So, yeah, I just, 
it, it just was a little too heavy-handed and and didn't uh, didn't have much of a payoff for how heavy-handed it was. So, which is, uh, I don't know if you said this, but another Chad Michael Murray. Yes, I did say that. You were on and, a Chad Michael and Jennifer Coolidge <laughs> and Hillary Duff and yeah. And I listen. I was a Hillary Duff fan growing up, so like that was an appeal to me to say, "Hey, let's check this out." And yeah, it just didn't didn't hold up. The Chad Chad Michael Murray bit was uh, this is the inferior of the two films of his I saw that week. So, huh? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Freaky, Freaky Friday held up. Freaky Friday held up. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Uh, what did you watch this week? Um, following up something that I watched the previous week, I watched yep. National Treasure Book of Secrets. Well, as you should. It's not as good as the first one, but it's still Agreed. so solid. And yeah, it's it's respectable. And and you know you get you get a lot of parallel moments from the first one, it, like things that I I don't think I realized were like national treasure um i don't want to say like I, this sounds negative and i don't mean it negatively but like national treasure clichés national treasure yeah like traditions that would have to be present if you did a third one um one right. being you know there there is a a throwback to the i'm going to steal the declaration of independence line which is when nicolas cage goes I'm going to kidnap the president of the United States. <laughs> Which still holds up better than in the TV series where the girl goes, I'm going to steal my dad from prison or whatever she yeah, says. Yeah, I'm going to break my dad out of prison. It doesn't whatever. have that same, you know, whatever it is. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I it, it, and I don't know where you, I don't know where you would take that. I don't know what upping that looks like for <laughs> number 3. Yeah, because amazingly if we, he's kidnapping if we ever the president is a, a an upping the ante from steal like it's hard to be like yeah. so what's worse than stealing the declaration of independence well <laughs> kidnap the president you know there's uh there's always that so no i thought mm-hmm. it was fun it's got all those you know same kind of humorous moments you know riley going mm-hmm. riley's realization that mount rushmore was a cover-up yeah <laughs> like you know just these like great moments of like ah so so good helen mirren debut yes. as Nicolas cage's mom emily um, and i feel i feel it's a bit of a cop out or a bit of a uh a lazy write-in where in number one it really makes you think that the mother's passed away the way they lead up to it and you realize okay they didn't back themselves in a hole so like yeah. To write her in isn't wrong. It just... Yeah, Patrick just says, like, you know, at least I had your mother for however short a time or, you know, like stuff I'd, like that. And most people who are divorced normally wouldn't say something like that, but who, who's to say? Ex- well, except for it, it, this one presents it in such a way that, like, she left him. True. And, yep. and he's maybe kind of been lonely and pining about it ever since mm. ever that he's and, afraid you know what, of there's some and there's some merit to that too like he's kind of detracted for his ways of treasure hunting so maybe he's had some remorse the point is it, it works she's great in it and the film overall is great yeah so it's and i love the dynamic it. between helen mirren and john voight like it, it just i buy it i buy that they're an old you know an old flame <laughs> yeah. so it's good yeah. um 
Aside from that, no other movies just kind of like wrapped up. We finally finished um, Two and a Half Men, so I've seen all of that now. Um, And then sat down to watch, like on a whim, super late. You know, like later than you should be starting a 45-minute episode of a show, but not (laughs) so late that it's obscene and you're like, I could go to bed now or I could go to bed in 45 minutes. Let's (laughs) check this out and see what it's all about. Mm-hmm. We threw on the first episode of ER, and oh my gosh! And then was and then made a decision to be like you know like fifteen minutes in we're like you know okay this you know this could be interesting this could be kind of fun maybe we should check this out but we'll check it you know like this seems like a good spot in the episode to you know mm. whatever and so yep. paused it and then saw that the runtime of the first episode is like an hour and forty <laughs> minutes. And we're yep. like, oh, this is this is like a pilot movie, um, right? So <laughs> it's a good thing we decided to pause it because otherwise we'd be an hour into this going, how much how much is left <laughs> in this? Hasn't it been forty five <laughs> minutes? Like, what is you know? So yeah, so yeah. that's that's I think that's pretty much it. And then obviously, so you know, a couple hours ago I went to go see Scream Six mm-hmm. in the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So wrap this up, sir. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for checking out the show. Please continue to like, follow, subscribe, rate, and review positively. Reach out to us. We love hearing from you, whether it's a comment, whether it's a direct message. Check out our Patreon page below. Help us support the show and help us uh, give you some perks back for doing so. We appreciate all our Patreon supporters. And until next time, uh, thanks for listening. And always, always, always go for the head. Otherwise, a bastard will just come back again.